suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 209 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. Congratulations. You've somehow stumbled upon the best little podcast in Australia, in our humble opinions. So, um, dear listener... This is an Australian podcast where we look at news and current affairs, changes in our society, is our civilization collapsing or is it going to just be onwards and upwards in a sort of um, in a Stephen Pinker sort of fashion? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We'll look at the events of the past couple of weeks really because last week we had a special guest so we didn't really talk about any current affairs. So. Um, so, I am Trevor, your host, The Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Scott, a.k.a. The Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And that was a really good episode you put on last week yeah. when I was away. It was yeah. a cracker. Let me introduce Paul, the 12th man. Hi, everyone. Greetings, Earthlings. There we go. We know it's the real Paul. <laughs> it, Loriana was great. She was excellent. She mm. had a really vast knowledge of it. Mm. She was... Um, a cracking good listen. You know, it was oh, really yeah. very good. I've listened yes. to it twice, actually. Yes. So She's mm. very articulate. Absolutely. She knows what she's talking about. Mm. And she really, she hit the nail right on the head. The only thing I did disagree with her on, mm. you know, is that she said that you, you wanted to increase the um, universal mm. basic income by 150 bucks a week when you're old. Mm-hmm. I can understand that point of view. However, I think that's wrong. I think you should just have the same universal basic income regardless of your age, get paid to you, that sort of thing. Oh, well, if that was the only disagreement. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That was the only disagreement. Mm. I'm even prepared to look at the taxation of wealth to pay for it. (laughs) Really? Wow. We're really turning you. You started off in this podcast (laughs) as a former Liberal Party member, very conservative ideals and you're really I'm coming around. I'm still quite conservative, however. You're really coming around. I just think that Tax. universal basic income makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an easy sell. you just got to sit Gina Reinhardt down and say to her, look, <laughs> if you want to leave your head on your shoulders rather than on a steel pike at your front gate, you better hand over some of your cash. That's incitement so, to violence. Oh, God, it's not incitement sit, to violence. Sit, sit her down. I think you have to strap her down. <laughs> <laughs> Manacles. But look, not just, you know, not have a... You know, come to grief physically, but mm-hmm. come to grief economically. I mean, yeah. who do the rich think are going to buy their widgets if yeah. nobody can afford anything? Yes, yeah. So, but it was interesting. Loriana was saying that really we want to come to it from a position of it's just a human right, rather than convincing the rich this is the only way it'll mm. society will function. But yeah. anyway, uh, it was really good. Thanks to Joe. I didn't mention Joe, former, well. Joe. Yeah, well, are we allowed to say his last name? We know. won't. We'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> but um, Joe uh, from the Secular Party had met her. He had been attending as one of the panellists, you know, where they discuss things. And mm. 
and said to me, oh, Trevor, this will be an interesting guest. Why don't you get in contact? Mm. So contacted her and there you go. Good. So, dear listener, if you have an interesting person in your life who you think might be worthwhile on this podcast, then let us know and we'll email them and it's as easy as that. And we had a really good podcast as a result. Mm. So that was It great. was very good, yeah. Mm. Well done, guys. Mm. Right. Uh, also, uh, dear listener, if you're listening for the first time, normally we jump into the topics a little bit quicker than this, but we're being a little bit self-indulgent with our own personal <laughs> news and stuff. Um, Scott, as you can hear, is going to burst into coughing fits every now and again. So Yeah, I've just, been sick. Yes. Yeah, if you hear him in the background doing that, just ignore him. <laughs> and also, since we last spoke, we had our um, our drinks, our secular drinks uh, mm. at Newstead in Brisbane. That was good. It was a, good, a lot of fun, wasn't it? Mm, good crowd of about a dozen and good chat and... Everyone enjoyed that. So thank you to everyone who came along and we'll do that again soon. And I've got a link to an article that says beer stabilises society and keeps people together. Scott, I'll you, drink to that. Mm, you agreed cheers. with that article? I agree with it. Yeah, it was great. Mm. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. <laughs> okay, I'll grab my beer and we'll thank cheers. you. Cheers. And <laughs> cheers. Right. So uh, next time we do that, join us. Um one other thing coming up, have you guys heard of the movie Hail Satan? No. I have heard of it, yeah. Mm. it's um, Is it coming out in Australian theatres? It is. Yeah. So it looks at the Satanic Temple and the work that they do as activists mm. where basically if Christian groups are doing invocations at council meetings, then they insist. If they're putting up Ten Commandment monuments. Then they want monuments, to be a, what's it called, a Beanifit? Um, or something like that? Baf- ba- ba- Benefit? Something like that. Whatever their idol is. Yeah, that idol, the, the devil's head, the, yeah. the donkey head and that sort of thing, yeah. And I'm convinced we're going to need some sort of satanic activism in this country to actually change things because the... I think you're our man. Well, Fist. I might be. I don't, it doesn't look like anyone else is going to do it. So anyway, that movie is going to be in Brisbane from Thursday the 11th of July to Sunday the 14th and I think I might try and make the Sunday nighttime session at 9pm because I've just got lots on. But anyway, more on that later. But um, that could be interesting to go to. Mm. Right. Okay. First cab off the rank in terms of topics uh, I wanted to speak about was Iran. And I read an article from the Brisbane Times which just got my goat because the Brisbane Times is from the Fairfax stable, mm-hmm. right? So this is supposedly... Well, it's from the Nine stable now, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. And Fairfax so, is supposed to be the moderate wing of Australian media. Yes, it's supposed to be our left wing sort of... Left wing is maybe a bit of a stretch. A bit of a stretch, but out of the two of them, Murdoch's uh, Courier-Mail is definitely right wing. It's supposed mm. to be our left wing version. And... Um, Just quoting from it here, it said, the article, Osaka, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has backed Donald Trump in taking a harder line against Iran in an escalating dispute over its nuclear program after the US president came close to launching a retaliatory strike against the country last week. Mr Morrison said the federal government would throw its support behind Mr Trump's effort to to force the country to the negotiating tables as experts predict, it will breach its agreed cap on low-enriched uranium within days. Mr Morrison warned it was very premature to canvas the ways Australia might back the Trump administration in the Middle East, but he did not rule out options in the wake of the attacks on two oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman 
and Iran's decision to shoot down a drone aircraft. That article is the biggest pile of BS Mm. I've read in a long time. The bit where it said, Morrison said the federal government will throw its support behind Mr Trump's effort to force the country to the negotiating tables as experts predict Iran will breach its agreed cap on low-enriched uranium. The whole point of history, well, the historical lesson out of this, dear listener, go ahead, Scott. You do not stuff up an international agreement that was negotiated by your predecessor. We had an agreement. We had an agreement, and that was after they had negotiated with Obama and that sort of thing, and then you've got this dickhead, Donald Trump, come in, and he says, no, I don't like it. It's the worst deal ever. Mm. I'm going to tear it up. Mm. So what are the Iranians left to do except bloody enrich uranium, you know? So the whole point was there's, uh, there, there was a, a joint comprehensive plan of action known as the Iran nuclear deal, and that was between Iran, the five permanent members of the U- UN Security Council, being China, France, Russia, United Kingdom, United States, plus Germany, and the European Union, and basically Iran said, we want to join the world economy again you can send in inspectors and inspect all you like. We will agree to these certain restrictions on uranium enrichment so it's clear we're not building a bomb. And in return, let us sell our stuff and let us, you know, Buy trade. stuff, yeah. And everyone agreed. And a year ago, the US unilaterally just said, well, I'm not happy with that agreement. Cancelling. Mm. We're out of here. And we're reinstating our trade blockade of Iran. And Iran has maintained compliance with that agreement, even though the US has completely cancelled it. And this bullshit article from the Brisbane Times says, as experts predict, it will breach its agreed cap on low enriched uranium. What a heap of what! What a just haven't, a haven't misleading the, statement. Haven't the Iranians publicly stated the same? Well, I don't know what they've publicly Apparently stated. Apparently, they have. But the truth of the matter is, at this point in time, they are still in compliance with the agreement. Not by much. It it the US cancelled on them. Yes, but you're and, you're questioning the the accuracy of the report, are you, Trevor? Yeah, because what it's suggesting is that it was Iran that is going to breach its agreed cap. But there's but that, no longer an but agreed is that cap. Not, is that not approaching fact? No, well, there's no longer an agreed cap because the US cancelled well, the agreement. What it means is they're, they're, they're about to breach the what was the agreed cap. Yeah, but the implication of the way it reads is those naughty Iranians are, are breaching a, uh, you know, an international agreement. That's the way it reads. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to defend Donald Trump. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of Trump, as you know, but um, the, uh, the way I see it, they are engaged in an ideological war. And Who is? The US and the Iranians, uh, clearly. It's, it's not just an economic war or, or, or you know, trade sanctions. There's, there's a definite ideological sure, war. Sure, but my point on. is for, for, for anybody reading that article who had no knowledge of the history of the agreement that yeah. the US pulled out of, yeah. they would read that and go, those naughty Iranians are just pull, are pulling out of an agreed deal. Yeah. Very unfair. Yeah. And it said that um, in the wake of the attacks on two oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman, mm. as if it is 
proven that Iran was responsible. Mm. Like, we don't we know. We still don't know, do we? Yeah. Mm. I've, I've heard, heard that the Japanese even cast doubts on the, um, yeah, yeah. the limpet mines and that sort of stuff. Exactly. They the, did. But, the, I mean, there are a number of hostile actors in the area that could have, forced, you know, possibly done it. We, we don't really know. We, we don't know. But we, what but, we do know is that the Iranians are definitely engaged in a, a long game of... Uh, regional dominance. Sure. And what better way to keep them under control than to have UN inspectors, um, well, from the International Atomic Energy Agency, and the agreement was that they would have regular access to all Iranian nuclear facilities. Until the the agreement agreement expires, which was something like 15 years, I think, wasn't it? Well, whatever. But during that time, you know that they're not building a bomb and they don't have a capacity to build one quickly because they haven't been allowed to. Mm. So the, the International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors spent 3,000 calendar days per year in Iran installing tamper-proof seals and collecting surveillance camera photos, measurement data and documents for further analysis. Mm. So the director, a Japanese guy obviously, mm. stated that the organisation had verified that Iran was implementing its nuclear-related commitments. Mm. So it was a great deal because it meant the world could breathe easy knowing For 15 that, years. Yes. And who knows, possibly longer. Hopefully by that time the, the, um, the Islamic regime would have been toppled internally, but we, we can't really say. And, I mean, their grip on power is very yeah, tight. But 15 years is a hell of a lot longer away than now. Now, they were saying that the, the whole point that Obama went into the negotiations with them is because they were very close to having a bomb. So he wanted them to stop them developing that bomb. Yeah. So he negotiated with them and he says, right, you can just hold off for 15 years. He's bought the world time. In that 15 years, I think you could see a difference in Iran. I'm very sceptical. I think that regime has got such an iron grip on power, they're not going to give it up for anything. And they have an agenda and their agenda is to, is to see an Islamic world. Clearly, they are diehard Islamists. So you, so what? What are you saying? That I'm you saying think, that you think that the US should have cancelled the agreement. I'm saying that agreement. you're a little bit too sympathetic for the, you know, for what is a murderous, tyrannical regime run by Islamists. <laughs> so, are you saying that the US was was made the correct decision to cancel the agreement? No, I don't think cancelling the agreement was the right way to go about it, but definitely to keep pressure on on what is a tyranny in that country. But but if you're going to apply pressure Mm. except by military force, Mm -hmm. then you need to make deals and stick to them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, now why would any recalcitrant country make a deal when the US will just screw them over 12 months later? That's exactly what the whole point Mm. was around the North Korean discussions that Trump Mm. was involved in. Mm. There were a lot of people at the time that were saying, why would anyone bother? signing up to something that the US can agree to yeah. and they're just going to walk away from oh, it. Oh, I agree. I agree with that point. However, you know, we are dealing with regimes who have no sympathy for our values, but, our, you know, our but, way of life. I agree with you 100%. Hmm. But here's a regime that was letting inspectors in, tamper-proof seals, camera yeah. footage, constant surveillance. Yeah. Uh, but behind the scenes we have no idea what they were doing and they were possibly... But, 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 working on plans for building a bomb that 
you know, after the 15-year period elapsed and no, they were saying, okay, guys. No, no, but the whole point of this was that they could not construct a bomb quickly because under the regime they couldn't acquire the materials. So at the if the, if the deal finished in 15 years, it wasn't like after 15 years in one day they could build a bomb. The point was... Not, not no, in one day, but certainly no, probably no, no, in, but they wouldn't have the in material. a few years. Well, exactly, but at that point you then strike another deal or whatever. So or whatever, yeah. The only alternative, according to your theory, would be just to go in and invade them. I, I can't see that happening. Well, I can because we're dealing with Trump uh, here. Yeah, like, but we're going to walk into another war with I Iran. I don't think Trump is about to launch a war because it would, it would affect his re-electing, he, he, launched, re-election process. They launched an attack hmm. and he only changed his mind and withdrew the So you can't say, I don't think Trump will do it. It's, it no, an invasion and an attack are not the same thing, Trump, well, as you know. True. Whether there is strikes or I, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he does launch strikes in the future. Not at all surprised. Mm. But an invasion, no, can't see that happening at all. And you think that's all right? Uh, I could I'm actually. Not saying it's all right, but uh, you, you know, think it's the preferred mode rather than a deal, just to launch an attack. And I, I, I'm not a fan of Trump, but I have to say that the way he has pressured China. Is, has some positive aspects, the way he's brought them to the table to say, look, you guys cannot keep just, yes. you know, uh, having an, a, a government-run and government-assisted economy that is booming and at the expense of all the, you know, the, the Western democracies, stealing their technology at the same time and then, you know, getting away with it. I think Trump has brought the Chinese back to a position of accountability to some degree. And I think that's a good thing for us. He, he's just damaging his own economy. He's, he's got no leverage and he's just damaging his own economy. That may be true, Sorry. but at least he's made the Chinese sort of think again about their strategy. And I think that's a good thing. As you know, I'm against tyrannies. Yes. And the Beijing government is absolutely a tyranny mm. and not one to be friendly mm. with. Just as a little side note, when the US withdrew um, from the deal with Iran, the EU enacted an, uh, a blocking statute to nullify the US sanctions on countries trading with Iran. So basically they said to their companies, uh, you can go ahead and trade with Iran and in no way should you abide by this so-called US mm-hmm. sanction and it's we an won't recognise any any US court penalty made against you if you breach the US sanctions. So, mm. so that was interesting. Very interesting. Mm. Which is probably one of the reasons why Iran was still sticking to the deal despite the US pulling out was to keep favour with the EU. But they've publicly announced that they're going to breach the agreed limits, which is not what, what, sticking to the deal. Once, once, a, once a contract is breached by... One, one party, party, the contract's over. I agree. So the second party then cannot breach it because it's dead. Well, like you, you can't yes. talk about Iran yes. breaching an agreement that has been terminated because of the breach by the US. Absolutely true. So but you the can't fact remains they have publicly announced that as as the <laughs> but, but as the deal why, is off. Why wouldn't you? Well, I'm not saying they sh- they wouldn't. I'm just but, saying, and and of course they should say that. I'm just saying because they have to have leverage well, to their, get an agreement their actions, back. Their actions speak quite loudly that they are interested in stockpiling nuclear 
material that potentially could be made What's into their best bonds. way of regaining trade with the rest of the world? Try to, to act go, like a like a civilised country. No, no. Which no. doesn't they, they, No, they've been doing that. They, the they, best way... No, they haven't been doing that. No, yes, they, they have. They've been abiding by an agreement. agreement. Yeah, while, while imprisoning and torturing their own people. Yeah, I agree with you there. If you're Women who publicly take off their headscarves are thrown in prison for Who imprisons more people per head? US or Iran? Probably the US per Thank head. Thank you. So don't talk but about that's, incarceration. That's, that's, well, the per head's a bad figure, is it? I'm saying. I'm, okay. Who in total incarcerates more people? Look, Forget it's, about per it's head. It's not just a numbers game, Trevor, as you well, know. Well, you ta- you mentioned incarceration. Yes, but they. I mean, I'm saying they incarcerate people for crimes, so-called crimes, unfairly that we, that we think are ridiculous. They, they, they Being incarcerate people unfairly, do they? Being homosexual can get you hung. Well, being and black, and I don't mean well hung. I be, mean hung by the neck until you are dead. Being black country. can get you shot. <laughs> oh, come on, Trevor. So, being black no, is no, not no, enough no, to get if, you shot. If you're going to pull America. these cards, then you have to say, well, what's the other situation? Now you're you're you're, you're saying the US is just as bad as Iran. Is no, that what you're saying? On incarceration, yes. Oh, come on. On incarceration, on absolute numbers. But what about no, the no, reasons for head. incarceration, even Trevor? Head. The reasons for incarceration. Do do Americans incarcerate uh, homosexuals? Do they incarcerate women do, stop. who don't does Iran behave incarcerate black modestly? People? Huh? Do, does Iran incarcerate people for being black? Like, they don't in America incarcerate you just because your skin is black, Trevor. I'm sorry. That's just well, the big facts, furphy. No, well, the, statistically, the facts would say otherwise, wouldn't they? Yes, statistically, your chances the, of being the, the, incarcerated the system works are greater, but you are not incarcerated for being black, Trevor. So Let's what, be clear on this. So, so, in Iran, so, you are incarcerated and killed so, so, for being a homosexual. So here's my point, that if you're using sort of uh, the human rights record of Iran as the reason for why the US should be able to cancel a nuclear ag- agreement, then You'd have to come into that with clean hands it's a and a white. Issue. And, and I'm saying, well, if you're going to claim human rights record, then you have to say, well, what's the human rights record of the other parties? Maybe it's, not so good. It's not perfect anywhere. Let, yeah. we, we all know that. Yeah. But we can still differentiate between a country that incarcerates women for not behaving modestly and a country that in, you know unfairly... Uh, incarcerates people for minor crimes. And we know that the problem in the US is their criminal justice system unfairly targets people for very, very minor crimes. You know, the war on drugs was a huge social disaster in the United States. Mm. And that's largely the problem for, for you know, African Americans is mm. the war on drugs. They're seen mm. as, you know, degenerates and drug, drug pushers. Well, there you are. By law enforcement. 12 man fanboys out there that you've, you've heard from the yeah, great look, man. You know, and- I just, I, I think you make a false equivalence, Trevor, far too often between the United States and countries where they do not have an elected government which can be voted out. And Iran is one of them. They cannot be voted out because they choose the candidates. There's, there's lots of Democrats in the moment who'd say that the Republicans can't be voted out because yes. of the gerrymandering. Yes, what, but that's a like, joke like, and like, it's not really true. Well, the gerrymandering is a bit like what's happened in – it's a bit like what happened with J.B. Dr. Peterson in Queensland. Yes. Where it was extremely difficult to get Joe out. And do we still have a, a nationalist – a national party-led government in Queensland? No, but at the Haven't time – But at many, the time we wouldn't have held up Queensland as, as one of the great – 
democracies of the world. It wasn't perfect, but we fixed it through liberal democracy so, so when and the power of the vote. So when you're claiming another regime is imperfect and therefore that's why we should be able to attack them, you, um, you've got to be careful and say, well, are we so perfect ourselves? That's oh, my point. You're starting to sound like a social justice warrior, Trevor, <laughs> for goodness sake. Come on. I mean, really, cultural relativity. This is cultural relativity. Surely we get to, no, to about, choose. It's hypocrisy. That so, it's not hypocrisy. So surely we can. standards. No, it isn't. We, surely we can make a difference, uh, choose a difference between a country, imperfect country, look, which runs a liberal democracy where the people actually do get to express their political opinions Mm. And countries like Iran and China and Russia, where they have no recognisable democracy whatsoever, it doesn't mean that we can just. Oh, uh, it doesn't mean that we, we can just blow them up. No, I'm not saying we should should or you know blow them up by not by a long shot. Am I saying that? Yeah, but Paul, I think yes. what you are saying is that the, the Yanks were right to walk away from the deal no, I'm because I'm, I'm saying that they were right to to find fault with a regime that is a. Theocracy and a, and a tyranny. Well, find fault and 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 say they're terrible, but cut a deal with them to make the world safer. Yeah, I agree it's, with that. And the deal was cut, and the world was safer, and now it is less safe. Look, I don't disagree with you that it was a mistake to abrogate that deal. Oh, I don't disagree okay. with you on that point. Oh, I thought you were. Not really. Oh, okay. But the feeling I was getting that you were just using this as an excuse to engage in, you know, unfair criticism of the United States. No, 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 because no. I was trying to say that uh, the US should not have cut the deal off mm. and you seem to have been indicating that no. it was justified because there are... The, a tyranny. No, I think that saying. was a strategic error on Trump's part. Right. But okay, I still good. see Iran good. as a threat to world peace. Of course. And the best way of nullifying that threat is to cut a deal. Possibly. That can be verified and that's yeah. what they had. Yeah. Well, there we go. Look, Whatever. Trump's a, a loose cannon. We all know that. Yeah. And he's, yep. he's unpredictable. And yep. I mean, he's, you know, flirting with Kim Jong-un makes me want to vomit, I have yep. to say. Yeah. I mean, that guy is, you know, if nothing, he's a, he, he's a murderous, ruthless dictator who assassinates anybody who looks even like, you know, a slight threat to Look, his he's power. Taught, he's taught the world a valuable lesson. Get yourself a nuclear bomb and you're okay. In, in a sense he has, yeah, mm. and that's a worry. Mm. But look, did you see in the news that, um, what's his name, White? He's a, a defence analyst in Australia. Um, yeah, I did Hugh read White, that. Yeah. Hugh White, he was saying Australia needs to consider, just consider, he said, acquiring nuclear weapons of its own, submarine launched, purely defensive, and he said scrap the deal with the French for those fancy expensive subs mm -hmm. and buy, you know, twice as many cheaper normal subs and fit them with, potentially fit them with defensive nuclear missiles, nuclear-armed missiles. I get, because he said America may not be there to help us in the future, into the you know medium to distant future. America may not be in a position to be our saviour again like they were mm -hmm. in the mid-20th century. He said we will be extremely vulnerable to a very, uh, very large and powerful China and if mm -hmm. we want to have the ultimate defence, he said submarine-launched nuclear-armed missiles are the way to go. Do you remember my podcast with Han Tu? Han Tu. Was that, yeah. Is that a beer? 
That's no, a beer, it's isn't not it? Hunter Man was Mon. his mate. His, his mate, who's a defence bloke. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't remember that. When he reckoned like, that China isn't going to attack Australia. Well, well he, he's entitled to his opinion. As no, is I Hugh don't think. I don't think China's going to attack Australia either. Dear, dear listener, go back and find our our. How long ago was that? I'll put it in the show notes. It was a while ago. But basically, what he was saying was, it's extremely difficult and dangerous to um, bring a bunch of troop ships mm-hmm. across an ocean, and even a country like Australia has, uh, well, once we get 12 submarines of any, let's just let's just assume 12 good submarines because <laughs> I'm not happy with the that submarines we've signed up for. With crews on but, them. But, but it's ext- if you were in charge of a troop ship sailing from China to Australia and yeah. trying to land some troops, yeah. the chances of being shot out of the water by a submarine are extremely high. Like yeah. it's very difficult. Our, our ocean surrounding us is Our an unbelievably good defense. defensive mm. mechanism. So... Without a nuclear weapon, yeah. we could we could have a fair chance of repelling a Chinese attack. Yes, but that that discounts the the notion of nuclear blackmail. If China, if America was no longer our trusted ally and mm. could not help us, mm. and China said, "Australia, we are giving you an ultimatum." <laughs> no, seriously, I'm seriously. Oh. If we have no means of la- launching a counter threat. Uh-huh. Then what do we do? We say we give up. So, so China's going to launch a nuclear attack, a nuclear attack on Australia, Australia. potentially. And, and I'm without, not saying they would. Without, I'm just saying it is a in the confidence that no one else is going to respond. Yes. But, well, they say we we will we will now assume control of your legislature, and if you don't agree, we will take out this this. This and this with nuclear tactical nuclear weapons. What are you going to do about it? And we're going to say, if you do that, then there's a whole bunch of countries with nuclear weapons that aren't going to be happy with you, and it's it's all on. So, well, we France, won't, we I won't think the French, UK, the British, the Americans, the Japanese. We won't you know, necessarily Israel. be able to rely on other countries to help us. No, we but, don't but know the what Chinese can't rely on them not helping. This is the whole point. It's, uh, you're holding a gun at each other's head. That's the whole point. And, and With, there's more than enough nuclear weapons in the world. Yeah, yeah. We don't need another one. And, and some people would say that has, in fact, maintained you know the peace between the major powers. Yeah, they would. But have you read Eric Schloss's book? No, I haven't. Like, I don't the know world Eric's has become slush. so close to a nuclear disaster yes. just through sheer accident yes. on so many occasions that And we have to be very careful lucky. about that. But let's face it, nobody's going to give them up. And you made the point about North Korea. They're not going to give them up. China is not going to give them up. America, nobody is ever going to give them up. Of course not. But, you know. So why would we be one of the countries who don't have them in a scenario where well, we have to defend ourselves. Oh, look, I'm not. This is all hypothetical. I'm not not saying we should. I don't, I'm just saying. Why would China? Everything should be considered. I think that I think that if China was to come down here, they'd have to get past the Japanese. They'd have to get past. No, the, no, no. They don't have to get past the Japanese. Japanese is off to one flank of China. They don't have to go past the Japanese at all. Okay. Then the they Japanese control the South can, China Sea. Well, the Japanese fleet can go around and take them on in the South China Sea. Do you sea think if the they... Japanese are going to take on the Chinese to to defend us? Um... The Chinese would say, and they have said it in the past. They've said, you know, there was a Japanese prime minister some years ago who said Japan is an unsinkable aircraft carrier for the 
you know, Japan-America alliance. Japan is an unsinkable aircraft carrier were the words he, this guy used. And the Chinese said, oh, really? You think it's unsinkable, do you? <laughs> Paul, I don't know what to say. I just... Goodness no, me. Japan like, is not like, going to engage in a nuclear like, conflict with China to defend us. Who knows what alliances could occur, but uh, Japan being stuck where they are will want to be in an alliance with all sorts of people. Like, and Japan you just can't and China say that don't because get we, you just can't say, oh, we don't have the nuclear bomb and and the support of some of our allies is shaky, therefore China will be extremely confident that it can launch a nuclear bomb at us and mm. and nobody will retaliate. They can never be sure of that. No. And the point is, why do you want Australia? It's useless if it's completely irradiated with nuclear waste. So, you know, you don't go and... It won't be completely you, irradiated. Well, you're talking about a nuclear... Um, have you been to Hiroshima? Did you go to Hiroshima during your no, visit? No, I didn't. I have. I've yeah. been through there several times. Are they still times. drinking the water there? Am I irradiated? Are they still drinking the water? Yes, absolutely. No, they're not. In, in Hiroshima? In, in Hiroshima, they're not drinking the water from the local town supply. It's Are you it, sure? It's either Hiroshima or Nagasaki, but one of them does not drink water from the local water I'll, supply. I'll check it that. Is, it, all their drinking water is, is completely imported. Uh, yes, look, I'm because highly sceptical. One of them had a, um, uh, at the time of the bomb, had cloud cover at the yeah, time, yeah. and the other one didn't, and it, one resulted in the in the um, contamination being more uh, enriched in the soil than the other one. I mm-hmm. can't remember which was which, but one of them still does not drink from the local okay. water supply. I'll, I'll look into that. That's mm. an interesting comment. Mm. So, but look, people still live and, in, and they Russia. were small bombs. They were. People still live in Hiroshima and they're doing just fine. After how long? And they were small bombs compared to what we're doing they were now. small bombs. And why do you... But you know, tactical what, bombs are often what, what, small bombs, aren't they? You know, if, if you're going to invade a country, you want it in a good shape. If, you know, that's it the may point. not be a physical invasion. This is my point. It could be just uh, blackmail, nuclear blackmail. For what purpose? To control our resources. What else? What other purpose would they have? Well, they own... They they can just no, own them anyway. No, they well they, they don't they can just, currently, but you know, might have been Nagasaki because Hiroshima. Yeah, no, oh. I don't think it's Hiroshima, but okay. anyway, might have been Nagasaki. Well, I, I haven't been to Nagasaki. I, mm. I can't comment mm. on that. But um, well, we've really diverted. We're thirty five minutes into this, and yeah. We're, but look, you know, this is this is long term thinking. This is not going to happen in the next five ten years. But you know, you just don't know. I mean, think back 100 years. Did, could any of our parents or grandparents have envisaged the world that we currently live in? Uh, it's very hard for us to do the same. Of it they could have. Yeah, but it's very reasons. hard for us to, to, to even imagine what the world might be in another 50 yeah, years from don't now. Don't you think in 50 years' time, though, that we're going to – I mean, you think about it. 70 years ago was the end of the Second World War hmm. and – Prior to that, the First World War ended 20 years earlier before it even the next one had started. Mm. World wars looked like they were something that happened with monotonous regularity. Mm. Since then, because of the UN, we have kept the major powers aside from each other. We have, yes, we have engaged in wars, you know, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Iran. Quite regularly. <laughs> 
they're quite regular, but they have not been. They have not been the large mass scale. You uh, where entire generations were sent off in uniform to fight. Mm. I think that in fifty years' time, we could have a very different looking planet. We'll all be a bunch of peaceniks. Well, we could well we could well be very much peace, peaceful people. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> what do you think, Trevor? Is humanity going to morph into a bunch of, um, you know, peaceniks with flowers in our hair in 50 years? Can't see it happening Look, myself. The, the world is controlled by powerful corporations. They're not going to allow a nuclear war if they can help it because it's no good for them. Are so, you kidding? So, American so, um, armaments manufacturers wouldn't profit from that? Not from a nuclear war. From regular war, absolutely, mm. but not from a nuclear yeah. war. So that's a game changer that the, the powerful 1% won't allow to happen. And the same for the 1% in China. Like, they're doing really well. The powerful that's elites exactly in China. That's exactly the whole point. They are not are, going to allow a war. They don't want a war. When you that, say they're when, not going to allow it, what, they're not going to start what leverage do they have? They're not going to well, start. They're just going to, they're just going to sit them, they're going to sit them down if, in, the, if, in the Politburo and say, no, you have to back down. If you're the powerful elite... Why would you want a, such a disruptive event as a nuclear war? Of course they don't want it. Then they won't get one if they don't but want why, it. Why does North Korea but now you, have nuclear weapons? It's, it's Because it's a, it's they want to maintain the, Exactly. But they don't want to use it. Of course they don't want to use it. Well, the same with the Chinese. Yes, but how but do you know the Chinese? You're saying that they're ready and willing to press the button at any time and they're looking at Australia and licking their lips and... and they might... They might think that just making the threat would be They're enough. They're not that stupid. Well, I don't know. And the risks for the 1% are too great. I don't see it great. as a case of stupidity. I see it as a case of, you know, different forms of logic, strategic logic. i tell you what. I had no idea we were going to get on to Chinese um, but, nuclear uh, potential stuff. So No, but you started it talking no, about Iran. Well, I, yeah, I didn't know you were going to launch into the fact that... A, that the Chinese were just licking their lips ready to invade us. Well, the, we'll come back to that at another time. Did you see Four Corners last night? I don't watch the ABC anymore. I can't stand it. Are you it. kidding? I'm not to watch it. No, I, I, I didn't watch it, but I, I will watch Four Corners. And, you should. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that everything well, in it was, you know, should be taken at face value, but it was about Iran. Right. And it was about the, uh, what do they call them, the, it, the, the Quds, the Quds Brigade or, or Quds Force in Iran, which I, I wasn't aware of it, but the word translates into but, Jerusalem. But, it's called the Jerusalem Brigade, and their you know, reason for existing okay, well, is look, to retake Jerusalem from the Jews. Okay, look, why do we have the problem with Iran that we have at the moment? Why do we have this theocracy running the place? Tribalism and religion. No, no, no why? Do you ever, Mossadegh, remember him? I don't. So... But, Mossadegh. But, yes, I know was, you're going to put it all in the Americans now, was Trevor. A left wing. Um, it's all the Americans' fault again. Leader in Iran. I'm aware, and yep. the US and, CIA had him toppled. Now, I'm aware of now all that. Now that wasn't some sort of conspiracy theory fiction. Like that is historical fact. Totally accept that. And if he'd been allowed to run the country, like. He wanted to. Mm-hmm. We would not have the Iran that we have today. Yeah. But that's so. You know, we're reaping what has been sown previously. Yes, but look, let, let's not get into you know all the world's troubles 
can be laid at the feet of America, Trevor. Please don't go down that path. But but please, can we at least acknowledge that the mess that we're in now... Is all America's fault? No, it isn't. Is, well, we had a reasonable government in place and they didn't like it because it was left-wing, so then the religious nutbags got in and took over. I agree. America, the American government has made some huge strategic blunders over the years. Totally agree with that. Yep. But that doesn't mean America is the great Satan, Trevor. No, but when we're trying to understand how we got into this predicament. Look, the world is a lot more complicated. Come on. The world is a lot more complicated than just America and everybody else. But but, but when you say, oh, let's, let's, let's throw some bombs at these people, we may not invade, but let's throwing some bombs is not a bad idea, Hmm. then you have to look in the context of, you're hoping for a regime change. I'm hoping, yes. Yeah. Well, when regime change has been done in the past, invariably it hasn't worked out well. Totally agree. So the point is to look at history and go, well, our attempts at regime change in the past weren't all that successful. Um, Do we really want to do another regime change? Not in the same manner. So that's why it's worth looking at because, you know. Look, I'm... I'm in favour of tackling regime change by educating people, Mm. by the contest of ideas, by Mm. hopefully spreading ideas about liberal democracy among the Iranian population to the point where they would choose it themselves. Gee, well then, let them trade, let them join the international community, let their citizens move freely amongst other countries, let trade and goods move freely, and instead of isolating them as an island then let them integrate with the world and who knows what might happen. I think but they are pretty well integrated. No, that's the whole point of the trade embargo. Yeah, but Iranian the, people have the been... the whole point of the trade embargo. It's not like Iranian people are banned from travelling to other countries, Trevor. Come on, that's just not true. Cam Riley, if you're listening, I'm sorry and you're probably bashing your head against the steering wheel. And, Go ahead, Cam. And, and, and Bash your head. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on after. Yeah, look, I, I just don't buy this. It's all America's fault. Bullshit, you know. Well, Trevor, well, really, well, you go you, too you, far on that, on that <laughs> angle. I'll let the dear listener make up yeah. their mind. I've, we've had our Come good, on, fanboys. Yeah, right in. Yeah, go on, fanboys. Right in. And, and give it to Trevor yeah. this time. Give it to him. You, you give it to me, yeah. <laughs> By all means. Next week is our um, fourth year anniversary. anniversary. is it? Wow. And, and I'm thinking that we might try and have a Facebook Live thing mm. and – and people might be able to join in. So, dear listener, keep an eye on the Facebook page over the next week as I try and sort things out. We might do a few test runs, and some of you who have got feelings, strong or otherwise, about the nonsense that the 12th man has just sprouted. Provocative, (laughs) very provocative. We can have a chance to have your say. So, uh, uh, right. Let's move on to more local affairs. Boy, boy, that was a diversion. <laughs> that was a see. really I mean, diversion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Parliament opened today mm-hmm. and uh, I saw an article from uh, that described um, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison uh, opened the Parliament with a moving speech that paid respects to his party's traditional owners. He said... I'd like to begin by paying my respects to coal lobbyists, the, <laughs> the traditional owners of the party for which I stand. We acknowledge coal lobbyists 
past, present and emerging. And we recognise their continuing connection to the land. But did you see the real <laughs> opening ceremony? Uh, did you was, see it? That was from the shovel. No. no. Well, no. you should watch television more uh, often. Okay. But do you know what happened? As they walked in, <laughs> as they walked in, you know, they have the people carrying the... Yeah, the mace the, whatever. Is yeah, it a mace the precious or objects. Okay, yeah. There was an Indigenous boy, I think, a young guy, an walking leader. in in front of them, mm. tapping two sticks together. Yeah. Now, if that isn't virtue signalling, I don't know what it is. Yeah. We're going to have a special Aboriginal Issues we episode yeah. in the not-too-distant future yeah. where we're sort of going to run through all these things. So, um, sorry, you are saying we have a new yeah. Governor-General. Yeah, and the, uh, the what do you call it, the induction of the Governor-General? I'm not sure what the right word the is. swearing in. The swearing in, yes. He swore with his hand on what appeared to be a Bible. A very, a very fat, big Bible, mm-hmm. and the, he used the word, so help me God. So mm-hmm. do we have another God-botherer as Governor-General? Or? Who is it? Who's the Governor-General? Well, he used to be the former head of the army. Of the army, yeah. yeah okay. I forget what his name is. And, 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 and have, you, have you heard the news about Nicky Savva's new book? Yes. yes. That looks interesting. <laughs> now, that's one to read, I think. <laughs> I've ordered be... a copy. <laughs> Good on you. Can I tell you some of what's in it? So I've got a clip here from. This the, is when the um, former minister described Morrison yes, as an asshole. Yes, it? yes, very yeah. juicy. Good on you, Nikki Sava. Well, yeah, that sounds like a good piece of work. Uh, so this is um, this is from I think Sydney Morning Herald is where I found it and emailed it to you this afternoon. Yeah, let me play this little clip here and then I'll tell you where it's from. Okay, um, here we go. It goes into the structures of the Liberal Party and... Actually, okay, so this is... Sorry, I know where it is now. This is um, the, uh, Laura Tingle on Late Night Live talking about the book by Nikki Sava. It goes into the structures of the Liberal Party and uh, the fact that you've had a lot of uh, conservative or Pentecostal churches being sort of moved in, particularly uh, in Victoria, uh, by, which has been, I think, rather unfortunate because... They've basically been promised that they can run policy from the position of being Liberal Party members, brackets, not entirely clear that that's going to happen, uh, but also uh, traditional, shall we say, small L Liberals find themselves uh, uh, not able to actually uh, identify with the, with the party they're becoming. So it covers a lot of things. It covers uh, not just that aspect of the churches becoming involved, but I think the really big question of uh, how religion has become quite a big factor in Australian politics again, which we're sort of not really dealing with, except you have a controversy coming up like the religious freedom debate. So, yeah, that's what uh, some of the content of the book is. Mm. It'll be very interesting. Yeah. It'll be a really interesting book. And, yeah. in fact, Nikki Sava was claiming that Morrison is – Possibly a lot more religious than people had suspected. Yes. Well, you know, he had a prayer before they went into the party room meeting. Exactly. And he was. And he prayed for for, for the Lord, Lord to, to deliver the, a righteous result. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is a big worry for this secular-minded is, people like us. This is really concerning that he has that much faith. And he really believes the magic got him into the prime minister. Absolutely, he does. You know, and this is the sort of crap that you expect to hear from the United States. It is. 
Not here in Australia. Yeah. Mm. There's another podcast I've been listening to, uh, 7 a.m. by Schwartz. Yeah, that's really good, yeah. Schwartz Media. I listen to it every day. And I'm going to play a little bit from that one as well. Uh, here we go. So if we leave the spill itself behind for a second, can we talk a little bit more about the circle of people around Scott Morrison? Because, of course, this spill does roll on. He does eventually leapfrog Dutton. So who are the people in this circle that are close to Morrison? Yes, well, he has a, he obviously has a circle outside of politics. Inside the parliament, there's a small group of people who are close to Scott Morrison and meet regularly with him. At the top of that list are probably Alex Hawke from New South Wales, Stuart Robert from Queensland and Ben Morton from Western Australia. Then there are people like Steve Irons, also from Western Australia, Lucy Wicks from New South Wales, and Bert Van Manen from Queensland, and then Paul Fletcher, who is uh, not in not in the same category as those others, but is certainly a strong supporter. And what is it that binds them together? Is there anything that, that brings them together as a group? Primarily, it's their faith. They're all committed Christians. They meet regularly as committed Christians, often in Alex Hawke's office. Uh, And Christianity and the faith practice is the primary thing that links all of them, but there are other other things that link them together too. Oh, we're in trouble. We are in deep trouble. We are in deep trouble because, you know, Morrison has already taken his orders from the Australian Christian Lobby. He's going to pay them back for allegedly winning him the election, which they had nothing to do with, you know, it's Sorry, can just, I correct you there, Scott? Mm. They didn't win him the election. The Lord Jesus won Oh, I'm sorry, him, yeah. Won okay. <laughs> it's absolute <laughs> bullshit. Don't, don't really... forget the Holy Spirit. Oh, you're that, talking that, Pentecostals. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yes, you can't right. forget the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. No, <laughs> it's absolute bullshit that the ACL would be trying to drive this point home with Morrison that they delivered him victory. Mm. He won victory, God alone knows how, but he won victory and it had nothing to do with the Australian Christian lobby. It had nothing to do with this religious freedom nonsense. And it's just they are setting themselves up to have this religious freedom debate being a religious um, privilege. That's all they want. Yeah, they're claiming persecution, of course. Yeah, I know they're claiming persecution, but they're not persecuted. Of course they're not. Mm. So anyway, uh, all of his advisors are God-fearing, hardcore Christians. I, I call them superstitious. Yeah. You know, it's so, really you've got to worry about poor Simon Birmingham being the only committed, the only out there atheist in the cabinet. Mm. You know, it just he must be sitting there thinking to himself, Jesus Christ, what have I got myself into? Scientists have recently discovered that expat tribe members, listening to their musings from both far and wide, have been contributing to the group's well-being and habitat infrastructure through something called Patreon. Some for as little as one dollar a podcast. It really is making a difference, and it's been observed to enrich the tribe as a whole, with contributing members experiencing measured dopamine spikes when new episodes are released, and even intermittent bouts of persistent smiling while listening. Ah, there seems to be movement again. If we listen carefully, we may be able to make out the discussion once more. Well, I don't think we can rely on the Labor Party to stand up to these guys on anything. So you're and, not joining the Labor Party now, Trevor? Uh, I would consider it. Really? Yep. And you're gonna, I, I to, think they're a lost cause myself. Well, okay. Um, I mean, both major parties, to me, are rubbish at the moment. Yeah. 
but for different reasons. Yeah, but you've really only got the two choices. So sadly, it's, it's one or the other. So that's my. Unless guess. you lead us to victory <laughs> with a new, you know, secular-minded group. No Trevor. way. Like the small parties, not a chance. Doesn't, doesn't not, have to be small forever. Not you a know, chance. They, they all started small, didn't they? Not a chance. No way. So anyway, um, if the talk on the tax. Um, breaks is anything to go by, then this Labor opposition is potentially going to fold on all issues, it seems. So, dear listener, the one thing the government went into the election with was a policy about uh, reducing the tax payable on individuals and they had sort of three different um, um, sort of phases, if you like, of tax breaks and basically increasing the 32.5 tax bracket from 90,000 to 120,000 and then in about 5 years time to increase that out again to people earning up to 200,000 so you would basically have people um from 90,000 to 200,000 on the same marginal tax rate and uh um and it looks like well that's totally against Labor Party principles to have a flat sort of unprogressive tax rate. And the budget is not going to be able to handle it because you're giving away something like $160 billion over 10 years yeah. in an economy that's just about to tank. Yes. So here's the argument I heard, it was, which was, well, was a couple of different arguments. One is that okay, the government went in with that policy and they won the election and it's about money and supply, therefore the opposition should just let them pass the bill. What do you think on that one, Scott? Should, no, I, should... don't, I don't agree. I think the third phase of that should be knocked back. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe the Labor Party should put up a very big stink about this. It may well mean that phase one and phase two might get knocked back, but they could always just point at the government then and say, all you've got to do is split the bill. If you mm. split the bill, we can have the first one and two go through. The third one can't. Yep. However, they appear spooked. Mm. They do appear spooked. Mm. And um, one argument that I heard was that you should let them have it because that will just totally ruin the budget and the and the accounts of the government will be in a diabolical mess in three years' time and then we'll romp into victory. So let them have their um, tax breaks. The budget will be in chaos and we'll easily win the next election. When you say so we, who is we? This is the Labor Party. So oh, okay. that was an interesting yeah, theory and it was that. like yeah. by, by not letting them have the tax breaks, you were almost helping them out. Because Josh Frydenberg is looking at his so-called surplus predictions going, uh, how the hell am I going to reach these targets? He he might silently be hoping that that the Labor Party knocks back these tax reductions. That guy runs on hope, seriously, because he's got nothing nothing else to base his predictions on. Tactically, it was just an interesting one where the Labor Party would say, well, let them have it and then they'll totally ruin the whole thing and we'll get in easily. But... I don't think that's a, a valid strategy. They really that. need to stand up for something yeah. and say, no. You, that's you, right. You just can't do this. Surely, we need surely, hospitals and schools. Yeah. And, and Surely principle is important in yeah. politics still. 
Yes. So, um, well, I think they should actually take a principled stand right until the final moments, and then if the crossbench won't give in to the government's pressure, then the Labor Party could say, "On your own head, be it," and then they should go back to the public and say to them, "If in three years' yeah. time we discover the budget's in a hell of a mess, and we are re-elected." Mm-hmm we are going to reverse these tax cuts. Yes, but the, the Liberal Party in three years' time would say, but you guys supported this. Exactly. Exactly. You That's the problem. This. So you, what are you, you complaining about? You and, voted for it. And it's a two-minute grab. It's a 15-second it's a grab that says, well, how can the Labor Party complain because yeah. they voted for yeah. it? So you can't vote for no, it. No, they can't. No. They can't okay. afford to. Well, then, then they've, got to, they, they've got to knock back the whole package. Absolutely. Then. Yeah. Absolutely. Which will give Josh Frydenberg his surplus. Because he won't be paying out anything. He to won't anybody. be paying anyway. He'll, he'll get to closer anyone. to it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, he's the least convincing treasurer I've seen in decades. What do you guys think about him as treasurer? Oh, he's very, he's very weak. I think there's been worse. Has there? Yeah. Scott Morris. Joe Hockey. <laughs> Joe Hockey was hopeless. Too. Yeah. Joe it's Hockey was terrible. Yeah. There's been some bad ones. Um, Landon had something to say about corporate tax a while ago. Let's just see what Landon thought about tax uh, at the corporate level anyway. Cheryl, where's the girl who helps me with this? I'm trying to leave a message for that fist fellow and that velvet glove person. What, what do you mean she's on lunch? She needs lunch? Goodness me. I have to pay sick leave. I have to pay for annual leave. This is why we need corporate tax breaks in Australia. Anyone who came to drinks got to meet His logic Landon. is flawless. Indeed. Um, were you talking about ethics or something before? But um, Christopher Pine has resigned from the parliament and he has joined Ernst and, and, and Young. And he's gone to work for the defence arm of Ernst and Young. They have a defence arm? They do, a yes. defence advisory arm. <laughs> exactly. They're no longer just an accounting firm. They are into everything. My goodness. Yeah. And so he's working for them. This is five minutes after he just finished up as the defence minister. That's disgraceful. Can you say conflict of interest? Mm. It's bloody criminal really, isn't it? Well, it should be criminal. Yeah. But it isn't. Dear listener, uh, we've got a link in the show notes to some charts showing how much money the big four – accounting firms get from the government in terms of fees for the advice and it's enormous and it's just increasing Mm. and it's he's clearly been hired by Ernst and Young because of his contacts within the government his knowledge of the defense department that's right the the money how they spend their money the money that can be made by these advisors that's all um and it it just should not be allowed for at least Three, four, five years. I reckon five years. Can, can yeah. I use the word whore on the podcast? Because, yeah. I mean, these are political whores, these people, who jump yeah. from ministerial portfolios into these, you know, lucrative board memberships. Yeah. Um, and our old friend uh, Julie. Yeah. Julie Bishop. Yeah. Do you know she's just landed a, a, a cushy job right. with a, um, a company that supplies some goods for aid programs. Right. From foreign minister to right. a company that supplies 
five programs. Yeah. It's a similar conflict of interest and people are levelling the same yeah. accusations at her. Christopher Pine said, quote, I am looking forward to providing strategic advice to Ernst Young strategic advice. as the firm looks to expand its footprint in the defence industry. If that doesn't say, I'm going to use my special insider knowledge to help them out, yeah. what, what, it's just criminal. It just take it's us for mugs. Disgraceful, isn't it? Yeah. So um, uh, just in case you're – I've got a little, um, a little chart here as well showing political donations by the accounting firms and the income they've received from the government for their consulting advice. So – over a two-year period, um, 2016, 2017, um, Deloitte and Ernst & Young both provided $600,000 worth of donations and they received in income from the government $635 million. <laughs> it's... It's, it's pretty, pretty fair much. A, it's pretty much a thousand dollars for every dollar spent. Uh, is how it looks to me. Mm. They must have good accountants. Uh, it's a uh, Price Waterhouse um, contributed over a million and received back eight hundred and twenty million, and um, KPMG contributed eight hundred sixty-seven thousand and received nine hundred ninety-eight million in fees over that two-year period. It's, you should get a job with them, Scott. <laughs> so it, it's like I have been banging on for a very long time. We have got to eliminate the whole thing about donations to political parties, except from an individual. And an individual should be capped at fifteen hundred dollars. Yep. And then that way you cannot get away with this nonsense because that is absolute bullshit that you've got six hundred thousand dollars. Being turned into six hundred and forty million dollars, was it? Yeah, yeah. Just add three zeros on to them. Yeah. Eliminate all donations to political. And, and you know, somebody like Christopher Pine could say, "Look, I conducted, you know, over the last three years as defence minister, or whatever he was, you know, I didn't do any special favours for Ernst and Young, and I treated them the same as the others, and blah blah blah." But the point is, when there's a a, a sort of a a regular program of ministers just waltzing into these firms after they've finished, they know that there's a job there. So they'll treat them right because the form's on the board that if you do, um, if you buddy up with them and give them a good time, then there'll clearly be a job for you at the end. It's so, really it's really criminal, isn't it? Yeah. So that's what's happening to us there. Right. Time to talk about... Israel Folau. <laughs> Dear listener, I mean, he's been in the news a lot. There's been a lot of talk and I've Scott's got a, a little go, rant I've, about yeah. this actually. Get on your rant, Scott. A good friend of mine, we shall just call him Cameron, shall we? Mm. Cameron donated money to Israel Folau's cause via the ACL. <laughs> Cameron. He's still a friend of yours? He is still a friend of mine, yes. But Cameron, you do not give money to the ACL. Why? Because the ACL are the ones that are trying to stop us accessing legally available voluntary assisted dying. They're the ones that are trying to stop women getting access to legal abortion services. They're the ones that are out there trying to keep the chaplains and that sort of stuff in the schools 
they're out there trying to keep religious instruction in religious indoctrination in schools. Mm. That's why you do not give any money to the Australian Christian lobby. Now, <clears throat> Trevor might be able to tell me this. If Israel Folau is successful in suing Rugby Australia, could he get a cost order? Yes. So what's going to happen to that two million bucks the ACL's already collected for Israel if he doesn't have to spend any of it? <laughs> he knows where he knows what the arrangement is. That's going to end up in the coffers of the ACL, Cameron. You have funded oh, the reckon, Australian Christian lobby. <laughs> I reckon Falau will fight him tooth and nail. He'll want his money back. <laughs> so, Why so would he want his money back if he, if he doesn't have to pay anything? Because he loves money. Like well, he that's, true. that's a bonus. Yeah. Just, he won't let them keep that. He'll, he'll say, I want my money back. Thanks very much. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But that'll be the second court case. He'll Good win money. his costs and then he'll, he'll be in court <laughs> with the ACL. Getting the money off them. Mm. So, so your mate was offended that GoFundMe. That GoFundMe deplatformed him, basically. He mm. said, where is it? I'm just reading from his text message now. Um, I don't agree with Israel Folau, but I will not tolerate nasty deplatforming. <laughs> Looks like the rest of Quiet Oz agrees. Yeah, I know. He's he's taken the Morrison line about quiet Australians and all that sort of nonsense. So he's is, is, is he, he's running a cake shop line here, is he? A cake is, shop line. Well, is he saying that basically, um, like a cake shop, they should be providing their services to whoever, whoever walks in the door, and therefore they've discriminated unfairly against. Well, what do you think out. about that? I, We're going to get to that because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you closely on this one. <laughs> so, so that's what he's saying, isn't it? Is that Basically, GoFundMe Go Fund should be beha- should be behaving like a cake shop. Uh, that they, no, they discriminated. Should, they because should be open they should to be offering who their wants service to, use it. Yeah. To, to anybody. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And does he have a point? Well, the point Possibly. is he, he the point is that he's saying that he doesn't he doesn't agree with deplatforming, mm. which I understand. However, Cameron, you do not give money to the Australian Christian lobby. Yes, he should have given it to us. Exactly, <laughs> but it's not deplatforming though. No, it's not deplatforming. I suppose it's. I don't know. How does this GoFundMe? I mean, what is the the reason for GoFundMe existing? Is it for anyone to raise money for anything, or is it just for sick Look, it's children? Basically, Go, GoFundMe had a specific policy on their terms and conditions that said we will not allow a fund which in any way encourages intolerance, intolerance or prejudice against any. Yeah, but they're Minority very, members. very subjective terms. Yeah, but they're terms that need to be applied to the facts of any particular case, right? So they had a particular policy that said, we will not allow any funding of a cause which encourages prejudice or picking on minorities, uh, is what they said. And which minorities has he picked on? Atheists? Well, uh, I don't. Idolaters and uh, fornicators and, and liars drunk, and drunkards. Drunks, and, yeah. Yeah. Liars. Well, yeah. gays in particular, obviously. Well, he wasn't picking pick on gays in particular. <laughs> Homosexuality was just one of a list of sins that he highlighted. That's true. He wasn't picking on gays. He wasn't engaging well, well, in hate speech. Well, he was in addition to those people. Oh, come on. It wasn't hate speech. It was a list of sinners. And we all know that sin is a bogus concept. So Anyway. Just if I can just get the GoFundMe and the cake shop argument out of the way, okay. Because remember we said with the cake shop that um, uh, the cake shop could have said, "Look, we make all sorts of cakes, but we don't make wedding cakes." <laughs> and then 
that meant that when a gay couple came in and said, we want a wedding cake, they could say no. But with, that also meant that if a straight couple came in and said, we want a wedding cake, the same they would say no. So a business is entitled to restrict its service <laughs> offering however it likes. Yeah. So GoFundMe is entitled to restrict its service offering however it likes, provided it applies that rule uniformly. Totally agree. So if somebody else started a GoFundMe that picked on Jews or picked on Christians or picked on somebody else, Mm. GoFundMe would be compelled to comply with its own policy. Mm -hmm. So uh, So that's the answer to your friend Cameron is that it wasn't a deplatforming, it was an applying of its rules that it already had and provided it does that consistently, it's not discrimination. Mm. Are we all in agreement on that? Well, I agree with you, yeah. I don't know much about GoFundMe, I have to say. Is it a non-for-profit? No, it's a, it's it's a, a profitable profit company. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, as a business, they're entitled to apply their rules uniformly. I agree with you. And so that's the answer to the GoFundMe situation, I reckon. Mm. Anyway, but, you know, you can't honestly believe that the ACL is just going to hit, just going to take in a dollar and give a dollar to Israel Folau. They're going to take in a dollar, they're going to give over 95 cents to Israel Folau. There are administrative fees to account for, Scott. (laughs) Right? You are really starting to concern me, Paul. (laughs) No, but I honestly believe that Cameron has given money to the ACL now because even if it's only 5% of it, Cameron, you have helped fund the same organisation that wanted us not to be allowed to get married. Yes, yes. Sorry, Cameron. Yeah, yeah, here into the rant. Yes. Okay, all right. (laughs) Don't ever give money to the ACL for any reason whatsoever. do not give money to the ACL. They are a bunch of conservative Christians who do not want us to live free and, you know, making our own choices in life. They want us all to be like them. Right. Uh, Another thought experiment, just Mm. with Israel Folau and statements. Mm. What if he had said, uh, for example loudly and proudly, that Qantas is a shit airline. I hate flying on them. The service is terrible. They just hate it and they're just awful. Or let's say Nike was a chief sponsor of rugby union and he said they're terrible shoes. They fall apart and I find I play terrible in them. Like if they were major sponsors of Rugby Union Australia and Israel Folau made comments like that, could he be censured by Rugby Union Australia? What do you think? Absolutely. I would have thought so, but, but I don't know. you can't know. imagine him saying anything no, no, like that, but can you? as a thought experiment, if somebody did say that, if, if I'll speak but for you. But a thought you experiment answer, has to have some sort of credibility, no, doesn't it? No, well, it's but, got but, credibility but, because you're just saying, he said, Qantas is a shit airline, I hate flying with them. Mm. Yeah. So my point is that for the free speech absolutists out there, um, Looking at you, 12th man, <laughs> fanboys, yeah, and the I Hugh am. Harris's of the world. I am one. You would have to acknowledge that the thought experiment I've just provided with Qantas and Nike would be an example where somebody's speech, unrelated to their football, is enough to cause a genuine issue with their contract. Mm-hmm. So speech is capable of invalidating an employment contract, and it's just a case of, where do you draw the line? Yes. But it is capable. Mere speech, unrelated to footballing ability, it is possible 
if it goes to something genuinely significant about your employment contract. So in the Falau case, people need to understand he had a private uh, sponsor who was giving him $250,000 a year. And when he made his original comments two years ago, that sponsor dropped him mm. for homophobic comments. And so Falau fully understood and knew and would expect that Rugby Union Australia would lose sponsorship over his comments. Can I so, take issue um, with something you just said, homophobic mm. comments? Now, I've heard a number of times in mm. news reports on the ABC, the newsreaders use those words that Israel Falau made homophobic comments. Mm. I don't think he did. I think he made sinphobic comments. Right. No, I'm, and I'm very serious about the distinction here because he did not single out homosexuality. He did not. He just listed it as one of a standard list of Christian sins for which people would go to hell. Now, that isn't homophobia. That's sinphobia. In his first comments about two years ago, he did because did on his Facebook page somebody said, what, what about gays? Mm. And he said, they go to hell. So that was in his... Is that homophobic? Uh, I wouldn't classify it as homophobic. He no. was just stating that that sin, the cost of that sin, mm. is a journey to hell. Right. How is that homophobic? Uh, well, It's sinphobic, the... isn't it? No, I think well, it's an important well, a phobia, distinction. A phobia, oh, is, I... a phobia is normally a fear of something. Yeah. I'll grant you that. So I wouldn't say he's got a fear of... Of guys, so I'll, I'll grant you that. Not homophobic, but uh, certainly. And yeah, the ABC has been, and not only the mm. ABC, but probably all the commercial media outlets mm. have been repeating this, mm. you know, this this line that he has been engaged in so-called hate speech against mm. gay people. Mm. I haven't seen any evidence that he mm. has. One thing you've got to recognise in all that, like you've got the other groups of the fornicators and the drunkards, etc. Yeah, you've got your hand up. I see. <laughs> well, I'm an aspiring fornicator. I'll put it that way. <laughs> is that uh, is that the uh, the gay community is um, more vulnerable to this sort of thing? So the other groups, it's water off a duck's back. But and why isn't the, it for gay people? You wouldn't yeah. recognise a teenage boy struggling yeah, to come out. Yeah, exactly. A 15-year-old uh, guy that's in the western suburbs of Sydney that's gay who yeah. loves rugby and then suddenly his idol says, you're going to go to hell. And he's Christian. You know. Yeah, that's possible. So, so you have to admit that they're a more vulnerable group and and certainly I'll grant you that, it's easy to imagine that you could find cases of gay teenage boys who that causes a genuine problem for mm. Whereas you wouldn't find it with drunkards or or fornicators yeah. who just Look, say, "I recognise there is an, an issue yeah. with impressionable so, so, young so, people." So when you say, "But I think the media is beating it up far yeah. too much." Okay, but so when you say, "Well, he listed all these other people," so it's you know it's it's no big deal that he listed homosexuals. Well, it is a bigger deal if you acknowledge that they are the more vulnerable of those groups. <sighs> anyway, my point is that. He could foresee that the sponsors would pull their money, mm. and if you want to take the big money, then you have to accept extra conditions. Bite your tongue. So yeah. yeah. Otherwise, if you don't want to bite your tongue, go play park rugby. So yeah. anyway, there was an article in the Australian 
Yeah, this is really interesting. By Katrina Kelly, and she said she's been involved in employment relations for more than 25 years. She's worked for three unions, multiple employers, and started several businesses. And she claims to know the unfair dismissal system intimately. She founded a specialist business that acted for unfairly dismissed employees and helped employers dismiss people fairly and according to the law. Mm. Um, And that business she's no longer involved with, but it went on to become the largest unfair dismissal business in the country. So that's her credentials, which sound pretty good to me. And she said that with Falau, this will be an application under the Fair Work Act, which in ordinary circumstances would cost about $20,000. And she says that employers, uh, according to the Act, must not dismiss employees unlawfully which is defined as for their race, colour, sex, sexual orientation, age, physical or mental disability, marital status, family or carer's responsibility, pregnancy, religion, political opinion, national extraction or social origin. Any of those groups can't unlawfully or can't unfairly discriminate. She says that in two or three years' time when the matter goes to court, The judge will not consider any issues of free speech or freedom of religion. The judge simply will decide whether the applicant was sacked, A, because he is a Christian and his employer discriminated against him because of his religion, or B, for some other reason. And um, so she says that the employer can legally dismiss any employee who fails to comply with a lawful and reasonable instruction. And these instructions do not have to be in writing. Um, So, and she makes a point that there are other Christians remaining in the workplace at uh, rugby on the playing field. Mm. So she says, in every unlawful dismissal case I've ever run, we've been asked for incontrovertible proof that the dismissal occurred for an unlawful reason and not for some other reason. So Falau is going to have to prove that the only reason he was sacked was because he's Christian and for no other reason at all. And that's going to be, on the face of it, impossible. Really hard for him to do, yeah. So reading between the lines of what she's saying here, he's got Buckley's because clearly there are other Christians employed. Uh, It wasn't just because he's Christian and an employer can give a lawful and reasonable instruction and when your business relies on sponsorship from these groups, and you give an instruction, uh, don't muck up on social but media, the, don't were, be a dickhead. Was Rugby Australia not a little disingenuous? I mean, they should have said, you are being dismissed because you've blown our sponsorships. They uh, didn't say that. They said, you're being dismissed because you're... I don't know the finer details you know, of what they actually you've, said. You've, you've offended people. And you've I think they said he breached their social media person. policy. Mm. That's it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, um, I wanted to give just a quick 10-point summary of Falau in a nutshell because you don't hear enough of the nuts and bolts. So, here we go. Hopefully, I can knock it over in five minutes. But, um, dear listener, the right to hold a belief is different to the right to manifest a belief. So... Falau can worship and believe as much as he likes. It's how you manifest that belief. That That manifesting is subject to other laws. So when you look at any sort of human rights, bill of rights legislation, 
It will always say, you've got the right to worship, but when it comes to carrying out and practising your religion, that's subject to other laws of the land and other morals and public policy and all sorts of things. So, you know, when it comes to freedom of religion, you have an absolute right to believe whatever you want to believe in your head, but you do not have an absolute right to carry out practices of that religion. It depends on other laws and how they interplay. So religious belief is just an ideology. It relies on ideological content. And I say it ranks lower than other, um, it ranks lower than innate characteristics. So characteristics such as your skin colour, age, um, stuff like that, yeah. your sexual, sexual orientation, orientation, things that are not ideological. We've got to protect people who are just the way they are Absolutely. with no choice. That's more important to protect them against discrimination than people who choose a particular ideology. So ideologies are up for criticism. And the easiest way to think of that is the Margaret Thatcher example. Can't be criticised for being a woman, that's just gender. Can be criticised for being neoliberal, that's just an ideology. Um, Falau is not being sanctioned by the government. He's not charged with a crime. He has freedom of speech. He can say whatever he likes. His case is about employment law. So as a matter of public policy, we don't want employers to unfairly discriminate against people. It would be very rare that an innate characteristic could be fairly discriminated against. Um, but it is possible, and I give an example here of gender, you might for example, advertise for a female doctor if you were needing a doctor or a masseuse for a female sporting team, for example. You could argue, well, look, we need a female here in this position. Yeah. And people go, well, that's a reasonable discrimination. It's a discrimination, but it's fair. So that's a discrimination based on innate characteristics, which is, on the face of it, fair. Um, the... Uh, it would be more likely that ideological differences give rise to um, a fair discrimination. So sometimes the nature of the job requires a certain belief or conduct. And I've given the example before where I could not be head of PR for the Catholic Church because of what I've been doing on this podcast for the last <laughs> four years. And a celebrity anti-vaxxer couldn't be the head of an immunisation clinic. You'd be saying to them, you can't do both jobs. It just doesn't work. So there are, you know, conduct at an ideological level that can disqualify you from a job. Falau chose a job with the advantage of high income but with the disadvantage of conduct requirements. So those conduct requirements were necessary for the national team but not for park rugby. Uh, so... The, the sort of social media conditions that were put on him were reasonable for an Australian player but would not be reasonable for somebody in park rugby. Like you couldn't say to somebody in park rugby, we want to monitor and check on your social media account because it's an unnecessary um, restriction. So there's a key difference there. Um, now, Falau's rights need to be distinguished from a gay math teacher at a religious private school. Because we're saying Rugby Australia can sack this guy because of what he's said. But in the past we've said a religious school should not be able to sack a, a math teacher for 
you know, um, saying that he's gay. What if the gay math teacher undermined Catholic sort of doctrine about, you know, mm. you can't be gay and be a good uh, Catholic. Yeah, but okay, you're so also yet then he's got to working go back in to a that. Catholic religious yep. school. So, yeah, but then so, go so, back to where you said before that you can't discriminate based on what you're born as. Oh, I totally yeah, agree. Yeah, I'm yeah, totally yeah. on board but, with that. But, but the point here is, I think, with the gay math teacher is that you're there to teach math. That is the core and the essence of what your job is. Mm. Uh, now, if that person was applying to be the uh, uh, the school principal, pr- uh, religious instruction teacher mm. at a Catholic school, what about school principal? Th- then you could say, well, you can't be gay in that situation because of the tenets of our faith, and your job is to teach religion. But when your job is to teach math, then uh, this gets back to what's the essence of the job, what's a reasonable requirement of as part of that job. So we say that math teachers and gardeners and caretakers and people like that, it's irrelevant to their job in the same sense that it's irrelevant to the park rugby player what their social media account is doing. However, if his job was a religious instruction teacher specifically, then it's quite possible that it would be relevant. There we go. Uh, so, and with GoFundMe and the cake shops, again, what's the difference? GoFundMe can choose how to structure their business and what services to offer if they set up a policy of refusing cases that support intolerance, then they must apply that policy to everyone to be okay. <coughs> there you go, dear listener. The 10 things you need to know about Falao in a nutshell when you're in a discussion about Falao. Right. And it's not just that he's a dickhead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he's probably quite a decent guy in his own skin. You know what I mean? I he's mean, he's self- just. No, he's selfish. Well, he may. Well, I don't know him. I've never met him. But, you know, he's been brainwashed by this religious nonsense. Yeah. You, you can tell he's a selfish guy, though. It's about him. For sure. It, yeah. is, an aw- it is an awful lot about him. Is yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this, this whole thing, you know, look at me, I'm persecuted, you know. What did Joe call it? Martyrbation. Martyrbation complex. complex you know. yeah. But he's also witnessing. And look, part of the Christian religion is that if you're a really, really good Christian, you tell the world about it. That's part of it. Morrison mm. does it. He does mm. it on a lower key level, mm. but we know he does it. Yeah. He believes in miracles was mm. the first thing he said after being re-elected. Mm. It's yeah. part of the Christian ethos is mm. to witness, mm. and that's what Falau is doing. Mm. I don't think he's witnessing. I think he's out there banging a drum. It's witnessing. Well, that is Scott. that's what witnessing, witnessing is. is. Yeah. Yep. Remember, we spoke about the Lord's Prayer and how it had been changed. Mm. Yeah. And lead us not into temptation was changed into do not let us fall into temptation mm. or something like that. It was peculiar, wasn't it? Yeah. Dear listener, I've mentioned in the past that you should get involved in the secular movement because you meet some interesting and wonderful people in the movement. Exhibit <laughs> A and B are in front <laughs> of me right so, now. Yeah, exactly. We <laughs> all met each other through the secular movement. And, yeah. ex- and Exhibit C in this, on this score would be Deep Throat. Yes. He's just a great oh, guy. He's, he's yeah. magnificent. And Deep Throat uh, sent us a uh, – left us a voicemail message. Good. So, um, well, here, I'll just play that now. Uh, here we go. Yo, Iron, Velvet and Twelfth, this is Deep. After the last podcast, I have to defend Pope Francis. As you noted, Papa Francis 
has approved a change to the wording of the Lord's Prayer. Instead of saying, lead us not into temptation, it will now say, do not let us fall into temptation. In 1156, Pope Adrian IV, the only English Pope, sent his English version of the Udra Fadr to England so that common folk could understand it. The relevant line is, na let us us fallen into na fondinga, which I translate as, do not let us fall into temptation. The same. So Frank, chill and don't sweat over it. It has all been done before. And Frank, <laughs> while I have your attention, it has been very rude of you not to answer my letters in the past. So this is Deep Throat, signing off from the 12th century, West Thuhal. <laughs> oh, he's great, Deep Throat, he? as well as being a, a GP and uh, a, 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 a representing Australia, I think now in disabled archery, and being an expert in old English shoemaking, um, is an as an ex, is an expert in old English, yeah, and like, I asked him for his credentials, well, like twelfth century English or something, isn't it? Well, I asked him for his credentials, and he said, uh, "I have been involved in living history for fifteen years, with my areas of interest being the reign of Henry the Second from eleven fifty four to eleven eighty nine, and twelfth century shoemaking. Gosh. Over the last five years, I've also been studying early Middle English because, as the quote goes, language is the roadmap of a culture." Your listeners may be interested that Old English covers the period up to 1100 and Middle English is from 1100 through to Chaucer, 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 around 1500. Early Middle English is the English language just before many pesky French words became established in it. Um, And he mentions about the Abbey Medieval Festival on the 13th and 14th of July in Caboolture. I've been to that in the past and if you haven't been, it's a good day out. So that was from Craig on the Lord's Prayer. We've got experts in everything on this podcast. We do, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of experts, uh, Alison Cortis, who was on our podcast a few weeks ago, just hit the media. Didn't she? She really storm. storm. Yeah. 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 So she was on A Current Go Affairs, um, interviewed on A Current Affairs. She was on ABC Evenings with um, Kelly Higgins Divine. There was a number of articles in different newspapers. Really got some She's good traction. Doing great work. Um, so good on you, Alison. Yeah, well um, done, Alison. Congratulations. And surely that Palace yeah. Chook can't ignore that now. Unfortunately, Grace Grace seems to be saying that she's not interested in a review. But well, yeah, but we'll wait and see how the numbers stack up. Yeah, yeah. but I tell you, Alison had said. Uh, and if you are really a resident of Queensland, and you haven't been on and signed the petition. Go and do it immediately. Yes, look yeah. up our previous podcast a few 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 weeks ago, and there's a link there to um, the petition. What do you know about Grace Grace? Is she religious? As I far know. as you know, I have no I, idea. Don't know. I did see something Joe wrote on Facebook where they said that um, she was very strongly in support of gay marriage. Mm. I don't know whether that means that you're secular or not. Um, new patrons. We've picked up some new patrons: uh, Glenn, uh, Craig S, and Corinne. So <laughs> welcome aboard. Yes, thank you very much for coming aboard. Uh, I'll give a run through of our patrons, dear listener. Um, we have only about 300 listeners to this podcast. <laughs> Despite the high calibre of what we're offering here, not many people know about us. 
Um, so, so get out there and talk about us. Yes. You should get onto a current affair, Trevor. Yeah. Yeah, should, <laughs> yeah. So spread the word. Like tell your friends about our podcast and pick one of your favourites and tell them to go and listen to it. So haven't had a review on iTunes for a long time, so please go there and leave a five-star review saying nice things about us. Um, but we have an excellent proportion of or a ratio of of patrons to listeners. So that's because you told people that they had to sign up or piss off. That's right. So, <laughs> so if you're new to look, there's a permanent language warning here, dear listener, on this podcast. <laughs> it's rated explicit because we occasionally drop the F word. And um, yeah, so here's the deal is that um, you can listen to about 20 to 25 episodes for free, no problem. Uh, get a taste for it. Um, hopefully become addicted. <laughs> and if you reach the point where you can't wait for our podcast to come out and you're really looking for it in your podcast app and you're you know, straight onto it and loving it, then uh, at that point uh, you need to cough up and become a patron. Uh, a dollar a show is all we ask, although you can donate more if you like. And we do have expenses, like hosting this stuff is not uh, cheap and not we subscribe free. to lots of different articles, so... That including one, that, the Brisbane, Brisbane Times. Times and the Australian and a whole bunch of them. So mm. uh, so that's good. So thank you to the wonderful patrons, Sean Janelle, Deep Throat, John Landon, Wayno, Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Roman, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Maddockman, Dominic, Liam, Dave, The Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday, Aidan, Wheat Watcher, Nico, Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Greg, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, Glenn, and Craig S., and the people who contribute via just a PayPal donation. Dean, Ken was the beneficiary, Mark, Mr. Anderson, and now Corinne, and Scott, have you got the beer sponsors? Beer sponsors. Tonight I'm drinking a Hop Thief, which has come to us from Zach. Thank you, Zach. Thank you very much, Thanks, Zach. Zach. We're enjoying and it. And I've just got to get in and find We're really it. enjoying this Hop Thief, mm. Zach. It's good. It Thanks. is very good. Yeah, yep. thank you very much. Oh, come on, come on. You want me to do them? If you could. Okay. So and the beer sponsors uh, was Wayno, Landon, uh, Bromman, Dave, Adam, Landon again, Caitlin, Zach, and Captain Doomsday. So thank you to the support. I think we've put on some amazing podcasts. Like seriously, last week was last really good. Last week was really You're good. You're not going to get a podcast like that from anywhere else. And we've had some really good ones lately. And if you do have a, somebody who you think might be an interesting guest, um, particularly on Aboriginal issues, Bronwyn I've been corresponding with, and she can be the names, and I'll get on to them, Bronwyn. But I'm not so much interested in the sort of dark emu side of things as to more current rights and responsibilities issues. Mm. But uh, if there's somebody out there who you know who would be an advocate for the Aboriginal uh, side of the story, then we definitely want to have somebody on that we can talk Mm. to and put forward our theories and they can agree or disagree. Particularly on the whole... Constitutional recognition. Yeah, yep. I would really love to see that examined. Yeah, and just to uh, us, it seems a lot of racist policy is being promoted, and we would really want to sort of examine that in an honest fashion with somebody. Do you know who was one of the you know, who got poo pooed the most out of our guests was um, Chris Lambie 
who was the preacher from the Gold Coast. Mm. Oh, I poo-pooed him. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> Not was... because he was a bad guy, but I just thought, thought he was just a typical no. yep. God-botherer. But you know what? He was brave in the sense yes. that he knew he was going to get bagged in the comments mm. and I tried to get this law lecturer who's a Christian and very pro-religious freedom to come on the podcast and he contacted Chris to talk about the experience and he said to Chris, look, you really got bagged in the comment section. And Chris said, well, of course I was going to get bagged, like because of the nature of the audience. But mm. as a Christian, that's what you do. You grit your teeth and you might convert somebody. That's right. That's and what Israel the law lecturer do. backed out and was too scared to come on. Mm. Um but Chris Lamb was like yeah. so he got a lot of stick, but I really I sort of appreciated his honesty and Absolutely. and his bravery yeah. where he knew he wasn't gonna get an easy run. But, yeah, look, I don't but, take that away from him yeah, at all. He yeah. he had the guts to to come on and he spoke and that sort of and, stuff. And, and, you know, and so dear listeners, somebody who's gonna disagree with us would be great because we will be respectful to them and have an honest conversation and see what happens. So sure. Um, send us an email if you've got somebody in mind. Mm. And I reckon, uh, gentlemen, unless you had some rants, you want to divert into Venezuela or uh, not a, to, no, Chinese, not Tibetan foreign policy or anything like that? Mm. Me into, no? But I heard today that Venezuelan refugees are now transporting contagious diseases across the border into Colombia and other countries because mm. their health system has broken down. Yeah. Yep. So. It has completely collapsed because of the corruption and that sort of thing of the whole country. Yeah, and and, and that sort of you're thing. going to provoke Trevor saying things like that. I'm going to provoke him. I know that because he actually honestly believes that Maduro and that sort of thing are perfectly reasonable people. I no, don't. I did not say that. You're putting words into my mouth. But I was okay. making the point, as you know, that there were a lot of factors at play beyond the control of the Venezuelans. And beyond yeah. the control of the great Satan, America as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, next week um, will be four years, Scott. Like, we started this podcast because we were concerned, well, we were members of the secular party at the time, mm. and we thought it's a real problem in our society, and nobody was really talking about it. But I tell you what, with Scott Morrison and what we've just learned about tonight wow. um, with – what was it, the book that's coming out? Oh, just, the, the books and the prayers and all that sort of shit. You guys were shit. so prescient, weren't you? Mm, I mean, I think so. Gosh, talk about timing. For the first time in our lives, we've actually been ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well done. Congratulations to both of you for um, yeah. seeing seeing. Thank you very coming. much, Paul. So mm. we're going to try maybe to do some sort of Facebook Live thing. It will depend on my internet connection here and other things. So uh, look out for that. We record on a Tuesday night. So ah, oh, will I be? Damn it, I might be down the coast next. Oh, keep an eye on Facebook. I'm not sure where I'll be. What's right. More, what's yeah. more important in your life, Trevor? Yeah, I've got a feeling I might be down the coast. Oh, dear. Uh, that might, so might there'll be, be no a, podcast next week? It might oh. be the following. Uh, don't know what we're doing now. I'll have to talk about it after the podcast. All right, dear listener, we'd better sign off. Talk to you next week. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. Bye, everyone. Scott, um, we've got a message from Landon Hardbottom. Um, which Landon Hardbottom is one of my favourites, actually. Yeah, he's good. So he is good. Yeah. So anyway, um, he's a devoted fan of the podcast too, isn't he? He, he is. Now he yes. heard our call for feedback on my interview with Chris Lamb, and uh, 
So he's provided some feed bottom, uh, some feed bottom. No, hard bottom. <laughs> hard bottom has provided some feedback. So I'll just play that now. Fist, glove, hard bottom here. I've just been listening to your Chris Lambie and the New Creation Church podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Did ask for feedback. <laughs> yeah. Iron fifth in a rubber glove. Oh shit. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out the other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just It'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event... You can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks. Thanks.